So the Sermon on the Mount, it takes up three chapters in the book of Matthew. And we started talking about this a couple weeks ago with the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus gives the nine Beatitudes, which are blessings that you and I have already because of what Jesus did for us. We experience them now, but we'll not fully experience them until we are in heaven. It's that now and not yet thing. And then Jesus, last week we talked about, gives us our identity and purpose. Our identities, of course, come from our baptisms. When we are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are given the gift of faith, the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is our identity. And then he also tells us that we are the salt and the light. And our purpose as salt and light is to go out spreading the salt and light of the gospel to all those around us. This is the work, the main work of the church. It's why the Christian church on earth exists. And so now we get to the section after Jesus has done this, given us the blessings, given us our identity, our purpose. He's now going to talk about, remember, he's talking to his disciples, which includes us, telling us how he expects his disciples to live as disciples on this earth. And the way he's going to do it, he's going to start talking about some of the Ten Commandments that are on your worship sheets. You can look at them. He doesn't touch on all of them. In fact, the ones that he touches on in the Sermon on the Mount aren't the ones that deal with our relationship with God. It's the ones that deal with our relationships with, with one another, our fellow man. And so these are laws, commandments that you've all heard before, and Jesus is going to do something with these laws. We'll talk about that in a second. So the religious leaders at that time basically taught that you could keep these perfectly, which they, of course, thought they did. You know, you can be righteous by keeping the law perfectly and then all these other laws and then the laws of course that they made up that they had on top of these people to bind them down and this is the way to get to heaven by keeping God's law perfectly and so like I said in this section of the sermon Jesus is going to hold up the commandments and he's going to take and make us take a look, a deeper look into these commandments and what God's intention really was which each, which, with each of these commandments. Okay, does that make sense? And you know, Jesus can do this, by the way, because he is the son of God. And so Jesus, in this particular section of the sermon, is going to talk about anger, lust, retaliation, divorce, He's going to talk about um, oaths and loving our enemies. Interesting, huh? And so a lot of people tend to think that sin, and we can be in this, get caught in this temptation too, that sin are those really bad things. You know, those really bad actions that occur. You know, it's easy to say somebody that has killed somebody or a serial killer is a sinner, 
or somebody that steals from a bank, that's obvious. That's a sin, right? But God's word teaches us that sin is much more than that. In fact, sin begins in the heart and then proceeds from there. And usually, not always, will result in us sinning in some kind of action. So Jesus talks about this. I have the verse on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. So God's word is teaching us that sin starts in our heart. Whether we act out on it, doesn't matter. You're still a sinner. And so let's take a look at a couple of these. Jesus uses some examples of, as he looks at these commandments, we don't have time to go into each one of these, because if you noticed on the first one, Matthew 5, 21 through 48, that's a lot of verses. If I were to go through each of these, we'd be here for a while. But we're going to talk about the first two that Jesus brings up. So I, you can look at the screen to follow along. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. And Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Strong words here from Jesus. Jesus laying down the law. And the first thing I want you to notice with these words of Jesus here is Jesus is speaking with authority here. And this is a different kind of authority than the, the disciples and the other people are used to hearing, even from the religious leaders. Jesus was speaking with a different kind of authority here. And you heard it with the very first words Jesus said, you have heard that it was said. You shall not murder. But I say to you, A different kind of authority. Because remember, Jesus, fully man and fully God, has that authority to do this. To make us realize what these commandments are really about. And so, Jesus is making this fifth commandment here. You shall not murder. A little bit harder to comply with. Because I don't know about you. But I can say that I have never physically murdered somebody. And I'm guessing nobody here has either, right? We can say, in fact, when I taught confirmation, I used to teach it a lot. 
at St. Michael Lutheran, whenever I'd ask the kids when we got to the Ten Commandments, I'd always ask them, you know, when we got to each one, you know, how are you doing? Have you broken this commandment? None of them thought they broke this commandment. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And so I can tell you that my anger has definitely gotten the better of me a time or two, or 20, or 30, or 40, or 50. So I'm going to give you an example of this from my own life. I didn't want to use anybody else as an example. So I was in probably third grade, maybe fourth grade, and I, at the time, baseball was my favorite sport, and I was the pitcher of my Little League team. And so I was practicing at home, because you know, kids, back then there wasn't, you know, all these pads and screens to look at. We actually went outside and played. I encourage you to try it out. I'm talking to my own kids too. But anyway, I was outside. You remember those things? It was like a square or a rectangle and it had a net in it. It was called a pitchback. So you throw the ball against it and it comes back to you. You know, you don't have to have somebody to play catch with. And so I was out there practicing my pitching. Now, I said I was the pitcher. I didn't say I was a good pitcher. I could throw it hard, but not very accurate. And this particular day, I kept missing the pitch back. Like, we're talking it's this high, this wide, and I kept missing it. So I'd have to go run and chase the ball every time. And then I started to get mad. And my anger was starting to boil within me. And I would throw it even harder and be even more wild. And I'd be chasing the ball and chasing the ball until I'd had enough. And I, I, I was seething with anger, as much anger as you can have as a third grader. And so I went stomping inside the house. I swung open the screen door. You remember screen doors when you swung, swing them open really fast? What happens? They come back really fast. And this one came back and hit me in the heel. And that made me even more mad. So with this anger that had started well, welling up inside of me with each pitch that I missed the pitch back with, I turned around with a closed fist to punch that door. And guess what happened? Right through the window. I got the scar here still, by the way, to show you as proof of this story. 12 stitches. So after I did this, I didn't realize I had cut my arm pretty bad. I heard my dad yell, Scott, I thought I was in trouble because I broke the window. So I took off running. You see how sins compile and sin, it starts out with missing a pitch back and now I'm disobeying my dad. And my dad only had to follow the trail of blood to find where I was down the driveway. Eventually I had to go to the ER. That's the end of the story, really. I got stitched up. But the point is, is here, this anger is part of breaking the fifth commandment. And how often do you let your anger get the best of you? You know, anger in, a, in and of itself isn't a sin. But it's how you deal with it. And especially, you know, these, this anger usually leads to some kind of sin and sometimes a sin against others. So you may not have killed somebody. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever hurt somebody with your words? Or maybe even your actions? 
You know, words can be just as harmful as physically hurting somebody with your fists or whatever, kicking them. Words can hurt. Maybe you haven't used words or done the actions. Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever let your head go to that spot? It's like, man, I'd really like to. Maybe out on the road when somebody cuts you off and they let their anger show with that special sign. Have you ever just thought in your heart, oh, I want to get him or her? This is breaking the fifth commandment. Jesus is making it clear. It starts in our heart. So let's look at the second one here that Jesus tackles. It's the sixth commandment. You shall not commit adultery. This is another one, by the way, that the kids in confirmation class said they had never broken. Because this is only for married couples, right? Well, you have heard that it was said, Jesus says. Let's go to what it says there in verse 27 and following in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, Jesus says, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Wow, again, some strong words here from Jesus. By the way, first off, Jesus is not being literal here with the gouging of your eyes and the cutting off of your hands. Because if that were true, we would have no body parts left. Am I right? But Jesus is making this commandment and showing you the spirit of the law is more. God's intention was more than just a married couple breaking the marital vows. If you even look at somebody lustfully, you're breaking this commandment. Now this isn't saying that you can't notice a good-looking woman or a good-looking guy. I can tell you the first time that I saw Zara, I just looked up to God and said, well done. <laughs> that's okay. As long as that's as far as you let it go. <laughs> you know, we can see from these two examples here that Jesus gives us with the fifth, just the fifth and the sixth commandment. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. It's easier to control our outward actions. Although that's not always easy either. But it's hard to control our every thought, isn't it? In our heads. I make this point because at the end of this section, I want to, it's up on the screen for you. In verse 48, Jesus says these words after he talks about, and I encourage you to read the rest of this section, 21 through 48. Jesus says these words. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, you know, at first glance, when we look at these commandments, you know, we may think, you know, you're looking at them on your sheets, 
you probably, well, a lot of you probably learned them with a thou shall not. When we just look at them, we can probably think, you know, we're doing pretty good. I haven't murdered anybody this week. I haven't stole. But when we realize the true intention and where sin starts in our hearts, moves our minds, we realize we're guilty of breaking every single one of these commandments all the time. But Jesus says, be perfect. You must be perfect. We are to live as Jesus would have us to live. And he says we must be perfect. Keep that thought as I read two passages here to you. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones. This is our identity. We've talked about this. Holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Oh, and by the way, be thankful. Continues on. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. These are just two passages. There's many more that explain how we are to live as God's chosen people, as his forgiven, redeemed people. The ones that are to spread the salt and the light. This is how we are to live. And then Jesus says, you must be perfect at it. So how are you doing with that? How are you doing with living your life as Jesus did, as Jesus would have us live? I know I'm a sinner. And so when we look at these Ten Commandments, it's easy to realize that we need a Savior. Because technically, keeping the law perfectly would get you into heaven. But we're doomed from the start because we were conceived with sin. So we need somebody to help us out this sin quagmire that we're all stuck in, this sin disease that we all share, which, by the way, is the worst disease anybody can have in this world. We need somebody to get us out of it, which is exactly why Jesus came. The law is good. The law is not a bad thing. We need the law. 
The law is also gospel. It doesn't, only, it doesn't only show us that we are sinners. It tells us how we should live as beloved children of God. And we get to do that because of what Jesus did for us. Because Jesus came and he lived the perfect life. He was perfect. He did it on our behalf. Because you see, from the beginning, God's had the same plan. Jesus, though, was the one that was going to carry all of our sins. The sins we haven't even committed yet. He carried them all to that cross and shed his blood for every single one of them. So that we can live like him. And so that we can be with him in heaven forever. And this is the best news ever that we could ever share with anyone, which is our purpose, by the way. It's in Jesus' name, amen.